from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, this week, for the first time in a while, I guess, slavery was in the news again. It, um, as I'm sure you know by now, it arose in the context of the Republican presidential primary campaign, which is um, grinding to a start as we speak. It um, it involves the guy who's been in second position in the polls for the Republican presidential primary since the whole shebang started out. That is to say, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He has been um, on something of a tear in terms of what they call in the media these days the culture war, and specifically in terms of slavery, new uh, standards for public school education. The key sentence being that students are to be taught that slaves in the United States learn skills which in some cases benefited them later in life. Now, you know, now when you when you finish guffawing, I'll begin to uh, take this apart a bit. First of all, we had slavery in this country for at least a couple hundred years. I don't know when you want to start counting, maybe 1619 for the top of the thing and the end was not as most people think the Emancipation Proclamation Um, at least according to a quite wonderful book that I read in the uh, late 2000s 2009 or 10 right after it came out called Slavery by Another Name by uh, a writer named Douglas Blackman, no kidding, or as Joe Biden likes to say, no joke. Uh, the premise of the book, and it's, I'm going to hasten to point out it's nonfiction, is that uh, after the Emancipation Proclamation, many of the Deep South states instituted a system called convict leasing. There was a series of laws passed in the wake of um, the emancipation. Uh, a, a series of laws which were basically don't be black, especially after dark laws. And if you were found in violation of them, rather than than being sent to jail, since the um, states didn't particularly want to spend the money building jails, they leased you out to uh, the then burgeoning world of mining and um, milling that was going around many of the southern cities, particularly uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, others. And you would be, um, as the word implies, leased to those companies. They'd work you like a dog. Um, And in many cases... You know, for it would, it would be for a term, 
It would be like a jail term. And when your term was nearing its end, the company you were working for discovered that, oh, you had violated some rule or regulation and you had to, uh, they extended your lease. Sometimes, often, for the rest of your life. This slavery by another name, name didn't end until they needed the labor somewhere else, that is to say, the beginning of the Second World War. So, and and also, just going back to regular, real old slavery, given the length of time it existed in this country, most people never had a period of life to enjoy those skills they learned beyond slavery. They died slaves. Aside from that, good educational thing they got going on in Florida. The governor, Ron DeSantis, came out early this week and uh, sort of doubled down uh, amid the growing criticism about the educational standard introduced in Florida. And um, by the end of this week, it appears he had quadrupled down on it. When I signed up, I couldn't do my own taxes. Now I can plow a whole field sitting down. I spent 20 years feeding my family with my cooking. Now I can do dinner for 300. Hi, I'm Jim DeSantis. You've just heard two of the hundreds of people whose lives have already been changed for the better forever. It's Slavery 21, Florida's counter-revolutionary program that teaches black people skills they can use long after they toss away their shackles. If you violate a rule, the worst thing that can happen is that you miss a movie night. Doesn't sound too brutal to me. Rape? <laughs> no way. Oh, sure, my owner asked me out to dinner, but he paid for everything. Except the wine. Surprised? You should be. Florida's moved bondage-based work way into the 21st century. Like these folks say, It's, it's not your grandfather's slavery. slavery. For full details on the life-changing benefits of Slavery 21, go to FloridaFreedom.com. That's FloridaFreedom.com. Be sure to tell them Jim DeSanta sent you. You'll get an extra skill. Hello, welcome to the show.
From Santa Monica, California, home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show. Just uh, hearkening back a moment, the name of the book again is Slavery by Another Name by Douglas Blackman. I uh, I tried a couple of times, as a matter of fact, to have him as a guest on this program. Just didn't work out, but it's well worth your time. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the crypto winner. Brr. This week's um, failure is a crypto payment processor called Alfapo. 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 Sounds like a dog food, but it's not. It suffered a hot wallet hack. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Not during the middle of summer, but you know, uh, this past week, as a matter of fact, in which at least $21 million in Ethereum and Tron tokens were stolen. Bitcoins were stolen as well. The, rem the amount remains unknown. And from my point of view, irrelevant. AlphaPo processes payments for several gambling platforms, including Hypedrop, Bovada, and Ignition. It's another world, isn't it? Hypedrop disabled withdrawals on their platform and wrote on Twitter that they were, Twitter X, that they were experiencing, quote, ongoing deposit and withdrawal issues, unquote. Well, that would be about it, wouldn't it? Due to, quote, an issue on the cryptocurrency provider's side, unquote. Come for the jargon, stay for the hacks. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm, won't you? I think you will. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Oh, yes, we can. The European Union's Climate Service Agency warned that this July going down as the hottest month ever measured globally, Tom. Yeah. A development? No, I won't. That prompted the Secretary General of the United Nations to declare the, quote, era of global boiling has arrived. You want to try that, Tom? Globally, the first three weeks of July were the hottest three-week period on record. The month as a whole is on track to be the hottest July, hotter than July, as well as the hottest month on record, according to a Thursday report by Copernicus. That's the EU's climate change agency. As you know, the weather pattern known as El Nino emerged in the Pacific Ocean this spring. Such cycles can last for years, typically bringing warmer temperatures and wild weather. That's the verbiage of the Courthouse News Service. The arrival of El Nino combined with global warming has led to this sudden spike in temperatures, scientists say. Um, the extremely hot July comes after Copernicus recorded the hottest June on record. So it's a thing. Copernicus bases its measurements on weather records that go back to 1940. It relies on a fleet of satellites and billions of readings of weather stations around the world to monitor the effects of human-caused global warming on the planet. Antonio Gutierrez, 
The U.N. Secretary General said the era of global warming has ended. The era of global boiling has arrived. And Dateline Batagal, Russia. Stunning drone footage has revealed details of the Baragalka crater. That's a one-kilometer-long gash in Russia's Far East that forms the world's biggest permafrost crater. I don't know what the other contenders are. The In the vid- in, uh, video seen by Reuters, source of this story, uh, two explorers clamber across uneven terrain at the base of the depression marked by irregular surfaces and small hummocks I said hummocks which began to form after the surrounding forest was cleared in the 1960s and the permafrost underground began to melt causing the land to sink quote we locals call it the cave-in said a local resident and crater explorer as he stood on the crater's rim it developed in the 1970s first as a ravine then by thawing in the heat, heat of summer days it started to expand unquote scientists say russia is warming at least two and a half times faster than the rest of the world take that mr putin melting the long frozen tundra that covers about 65 percent of the country's land mass releasing greenhouse gases stored in the long frozen now thawed soil the gateway to the underworld as some locals in russia's Sakha republic call it has a scientific name a mega slump if it were a mega slump mark zuckerberg would own it while it may attract tourists the slump's expansion is uh, quote a sign of danger according to the lead researcher at the Melnikov Permafrost Institute in Yakutsk. If he doesn't know, who does? Quote, in the future, with increasing temperatures and with higher anthropogenic pressure, we will see more and more of those mega slumps forming until all the permafrost is gone, he told Reuters. Unquote, he told Reuters. Thawing permafrost has already threatened cities and towns across northern and northeastern Russia, buckling roadways, splitting apart houses, and disrupting pipelines. Vast wildfires, which have become more intense in recent seasons, exacerbate the problem. Locals in Sakha have taken note of the crater's rapid growth. Quote, two years ago, the edge was about 20 to 20 meters away from this path, and now, apparently, it is much closer, said one of them. Scientists aren't sure of the exact rate at which the crater is expanding, but uh, one of the authorities says the soil beneath the slump, which is about 328 feet deep in some areas, contains an enormous quantity of organic carbon that will release into the atmosphere as the permafrost thaws. And you know what that means. With an increasing air temperature, we can expect the crater will be expanding at a higher rate, said uh, one of the authorities. This will lead to more and more climate warming in the following years. And that's Russia's next gift to the world. News of the warm. Makes you feel all toasty, doesn't it? Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now some news of the Olympic movement. 
or actually the Olympic movement's influence and effect on its latest host city. That would be Paris. Paris to you. Paris's open-air bookstores and bookstalls have been ordered to close so that views of the River Seine are not obstructed during the Olympic Games opening ceremonies. It's a move that enraged booksellers have likened to displacing the Eiffel Tower. That's according to the British newspaper The Telegraph. Local authorities have warned the booksellers, or bankinists, who operate the iconic dark green bookstalls, that their boxes will have to be dismantled before the opening ceremony, July 6th of next year. It's a significant date in Cuba as well, which is due to be held along the Seine. Officials are concerned the stalls will pose security risks and obstruct views of the ceremony, said to be the first to ever take place outside of a stadium and along a waterway. An estimated 400,000 spectators are expected to line the upper keys of the Seine for the festivities, free to the public. Mayor An Hidalgo wants to celebrate Paris and its monuments with the Olympic Games, but booksellers are part of Paris, says Jerome Calais, president of the Cultural Association of Paris Booksellers. Wanting to make us disappear is as absurd as dismantling the Eiffel Tower or Notre Dame de Paris. We have been there for 450 years, unquote him. Earlier this month, the city proposed a variety of measures in an apparent attempt to appease the booksellers. They operate some 570 riverside stalls, which fall within the perimeter of the opening ceremony. Those uh, moves include refurbishing the boxes during the Olympics and reinstalling them once the games are over, as well as setting up a separate bookseller village in a literary district near the Seine. In, say, near that part of the Seine, in central Paris, it's a long river, Mr. Calais bemoaned being forced to move away, describing it as a lost opportunity to promote Parisian culture during a notable moment in the French capital's history. Quote, this event is supposed to promote Paris, and we who represent Paris, we will be erased. If the question is the view, we're not going to cut trees for a four-hour ceremony either, he added. Ha! <laughs> you want to bet? Booksellers have until the end of this August to decide on their fate. Some lamented that their fate had already been sealed. We're a part of the Paris landscape, one of the booksellers says. We're often presented as a kind of historical monument. For four centuries, there have been booksellers in Paris. We're going to be erased, rubbed out like a fly on the top of a cake for reasons that I don't understand, unquote. That would kind of wreck the cake, wouldn't it? Bookstall lots along the Ten are assigned and regulated by Paris authorities. Permits are valid for five years. Booksellers must be open at least four days a week. They are allowed to sell souvenirs, but their main business must be the sale of old or second-hand books. And they're not making those anymore. Campaigners, including Mr. Calais, have uh, for years petitioned to have the Riverside booksellers nominated as a candidate for UNESCO's intangible cultural heritage list with the support of the city of Paris. But uh, what's the 
Effectively, the world's largest open-air bookshop has yet to be put forward by national officials, losing out to other contenders selected by the French Culture Ministry. The French Baguette has been selected a couple years ago over zinc roofs and a wine festival in a wine region as the their final candidate, the French government's final candidate, candidate for the UNESCO list. The Olympics is a movement, and it's moving in right over you, if you happen to be in the host city. And now, news of the godly. Dateline Rome, where else? The Jesuits said this week that a famous artist slash priest is definitively expelled from the religious order, that is to say the Jesuits, for sexually, spiritually, and psychologically abusing women. The Jesuits lamented that they couldn't prosecute him more vigorously because of internal procedures dictated by the Vatican. Reverend Marco Ivan Rupnik remains a Catholic priest, but is no longer a Jesuit priest after he didn't appeal his June expulsion decree said uh, Rup, uh, Rupnik's former superior. Rupnik, a Slovenian priest, is one of the most celebrated religious artists in the Catholic Church. His mosaics decorate churches and basilicas around the world, including at the Vatican. Well, they could take it, his basilica down there. Late last year, the Jesuits acknowledged Rupnik had been accused by several women of sexual, spiritual, and psychological abuse over 30 years. I guess he got good at it. He had largely escaped punishment until then because, in part, of his exalted status in the church and at the Vatican, where even Pope Francis' role in the case came into question. That would be Francis the talking pope. After conducting an investigation, the Jesuits announced in June they determined the women's claims to be, quote, very highly credible. They said they had kicked Rupnik out of the order because of his, quote, stubborn refusal to observe the vow of obedience, unquote. The Jesuits had exhorted Rupnik to atone for his misconduct and enter in a, into a process of reparation with his victims. But he said, nah, I'd rather not. News of the guy. Did Francis, the talking pope, tell him to get straight? Not in the story as of yet. News of the Godly, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the next few minutes are sponsored by... We can't say sponsored by on public radio, can you? Underwritten by Truth Social. If you've been watching the fake news, you know that I've been indicted more often than Lizzo has taken Golo. Not that she needs to. She's a great performer. But so many people say to me, Mr. Trump, it's so sad that all those so-called indictments have taken so much of your time away from saving the country from the maniacs and the communists and the perverts. In other words, the Democrats. I'm glad that so many wonderful people, ordinary people, take a moment to care about their favorite president. If I was in their position, I would too. 
But the hardest thing about all these so-called indictments is that to deal with them, you have to hire lawyers. The more witch hunts, the more lawyers. It's like a law or something. Of course, lawyers have a great full employment plan. Their members in Congress pass another stupid law. Then their members in law firms get to file the suits about it. More suits than Lizzo has shapewear. One of my favorite artists, by the way, if there are female geniuses, she's definitely one of them. So I keep having to hire new lawyers. The worst lawyer is the one I just fired. And ironically, the best is the one I just hired. If I had gotten straight A's in law school instead of business school, I could have saved a lot of money and just hired myself. In all fairness, in many cases, I saved the money anyway. The great joke is that other lawyers are now trying to kick the great Rudy Giuliani out of the tribe. Why? Because he was following his clients, my instructions. Of course, if he didn't follow them, I should fire him. And you know what? I did. Note to Rudy, next time join a profession that doesn't punish you for serving your damn client. You know, I keep hearing that Shakespeare said something about lawyers. One of these days, I'll have the time to find out for sure. Maybe I'll go find someone who's read him. Maybe Lizzo. Thanks for listening to your favorite president. God bless you. And, of course, me. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. So sorry. Deadline, Denver. Denver Broncos head coach Sean Payton, formerly coach of the New Orleans Saints, apologized for his critique of the teams, his teams, the Broncos' previous coach and staff, calling it a mistake. On Thursday, he told USA Today his predecessors had done, quote, one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL, unquote. But speaking to reporters during training camp on Friday, Peyton said, I had one of those moments where I still had my Fox hat on and not my coaching hat on. He used to be a broadcaster for Fox last season. And you know, I said this to the team in the meeting yesterday, we've had a great off-season relative to that, and I've been preaching that message, and here I am, the veteran, you know, stepping in it. It was a learning experience for me. It was a mistake, obviously. I needed a little bit more filter. I said what I said, and obviously I needed a little bit more restraint, and I regret that. Dayline Washington, a high school student who stormed the U.S. Capitol, assaulted a police officer and sat in a Senate floor chair reserved for the vice president. He was sentenced on Wednesday of this week to one year in prison. Georgia resident Bruno Joseph Cua was 18 when he attacked the Capitol on January 6, 2021, making him one of the youngest people charged in the whole 1-6 riot. Before learning his sentence, Cua apologized for his actions, told the judge that he's ashamed of his role in a mob's attack on democracy, as he called it. Everything that day was just one terrible decision after another, said Cua, now 21. The judge sends Cua to a prison term of one year and one day, followed by three years of supervised release. The judge convicted him of felony charges after a trial earlier this year. 
The judge told Cuba he was prepared to give him a longer sentence before he heard his statement in court. The judge said he believes Cuba is truly remorseful. Quote, it's a tragic case for the country, it's a tragic case for you and your family, the judge told him. There are no winners in any of this, unquote the judge. Well, Trump, around the time of the riot, Cuba was finishing online coursework to graduate from high school. Prosecutors said his age is only slightly a mitigating factor in his favor. At least five capital riot defendants were younger than Cuba. On January 6th, according to the Justice Department, two of the five have resolved their cases and avoided prison terms. Both pleaded guilty to misdemeanor offenses and were sentenced to probation. Cuba planned his attack weeks in advance, brought weapons to the Capitol, tried to terrorize congressional staffers, and was repeatedly aggressive toward police. Prosecutors said Cuba played a unique and prominent role on January 6th, opening the Senate chamber to the rioters, escalating confrontations, and leading other rioters into and through the Capitol. They recommended a prison sentence of four years and nine months. Cuba said he was scared to my core by the jail time he's already spent 40 days after his arrest. I did something stupid to land myself there, but it was traumatizing, he said. Former Mexican President Vincente Fox apologized to the Jewish community after dismissing political opponent Claudia Scheinbaum, a frontrunner in the developing 2024 Mexican presidential race, as a, quote, Bulgarian Jew, unquote. Fox, a right-wing populist and former Coca-Cola executive, Here's to you, bud. He was president of Mexico from 2000 to 2006. He frequently critiques the country's current left-wing president, Andre Manuel López Obrador, in public appearances. Well, that shouldn't be surprising. But last week, he complained in an interview about López Obrador's move to stop monthly pension payments for retired presidents by using a derogatory slur to call out lazy people who don't belong in the government or in the country. Scheinbaum and other leaders of Lopez Obrador's Morena party condemned Fox's comments. Fox then tweeted out rebuttals, calling Scheinbaum a Bulgarian Jew, and Marcelo Ebrard, a former foreign minister also in the Morena party, as a French snob. Fox is a frequent provocateur whose National Action Party is conservative and has strong ties to the Catholic Church. This according to the Jerusalem Post. Daylight Washington, a special graduation ceremony was held over the weekend for black, deaf students who were denied a diploma 70 years ago. Back in the 50s, the Kendall School established a division for black, deaf students on the Gallaudet University campus, but even though black students earned the right to graduate, they never received their diplomas. Last Saturday, 24 students and four black teachers were finally awarded their diplomas. The university apologized for past racial injustices. Lando Norris has apologized for accidentally breaking the trophy that Max Verstappen received for winning last week's Formula One Hungarian Grand Prix. 
Norris promised he would be more careful during future podium celebrations to avoid what led to the winner's trophy getting smashed. Not the winner, the trophy. The incident occurred after Norris finished second to Verstappen at the Hungaro Ring. During the podium celebration, Norris banged his champagne bottle off the podium, as he usually does in order to pop the cork, which led to the trophy set down by Verstappen, who was trying to begin his own celebration, being knocked off the top step and shattered as it hit the ground. The porcelain trophy, which took six months to make, reportedly cost around $38,000 to manufacture. Both Norris and Verstappen laughed the incident off, but the British driver apologized for what occurred during media obligations for this weekend's Belgian Grand Prix. Quote, I know how much it means to the Hungarians and part of their culture, and I did apologize to Max. I know I made a couple of jokes about it, which maybe I shouldn't, but I, I do feel bad for him. If he did it to my trophy, I'd be annoyed. I do apologize for it, and obviously to the people who put the time and effort into making it. I really didn't mean for it to happen. I'll make sure I'm a lot more careful next time. Unquote. Next time I bang my champagne bottle against the podium. A man in Anchorage, Alaska, who vandalized a local Jewish museum and several other locations with swastikas, has been sentenced to 18 months in prison on a combination of charges, included unrelated drug trafficking. Luke Foster went on a vandalism spree in 2021, according to the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, twice tagging the Alaska Jewish Museum with stickers featuring a swastika and the phrase, quote, we are everywhere, unquote. He also carved a swastika into the side of the building and distributed stickers at seven, several other locations around town, town being Anchorage, including a gay nightclub. Federal authorities initially tracked him down due to his unrelated efforts to sell hallucinogenic mushrooms online. During his trial, Foster apologized for his actions. The um, president of the museum's board said he was encouraged by the apology. And Dateline New York State, Convergent Energy has issued an apology as firefighters continue to battle a blaze at its solar farm on the town of Lyme, New York. The company expressed appreciation for the patience of individuals affected by the situation and apologized for the disruption it has caused. Local officials have reassured residents that there are no toxic byproducts in the air. That, of course, you can take to the bank, and no evidence of groundwater or runoff contamination that could pose health risks. And that's it from New York State, and those are the Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Elsewhere in New York State... This is a terrible city. The people are cattle and swine. There isn't a girl I'd call pretty, nor a friend that I'd call mine. And the only decent place on earth is the town that gave me birth. You 
can keep your Athens, you can keep your Rome. I'm a hometown fella and I pine for home. I wanna go back, go back to dear old Syracuse. Though I've worn out sandals and my funds are low, there's a light that's burning in the patio. I wanna go back, go back to dear old Syracuse. It is no metropolis, it has no big acropolis, and yet there is a quorum of cuties in the forum. Though the boys wear tunics that are out of style, they will always greet me with a friendly smile. I wanna go back, go back to dear old Syracuse. agree with Mr. Spartacus. I was never meant to be a hardy cuss. I wanna go back, go back to dear old Syracuse. When a man is lonely, it is good to know there's a red light burning in the patio. I wanna go back, go back to dear old Syracuse. Wives don't want divorces there The men are strong as horses there And should a man philander The goose forgives the gander When the search for love becomes a mania You can take the night boat to Albania I wanna go back, go back To dear old Syracuse So here's this uh, company called OpenAI, which is involved in the whole artificial intelligence thing. And it has now taken down its AI classifier. That's um, a text detector to point out whether text was written by a human or by AI machinery. Took it down months after it was released due to its inability to accurately determine whether a chunk of text was automatically generated by a machine or by a human. As of July 20th, the AI classifier is no longer available due to its low rate of accuracy, OpenAI said in a short statement. We are working to incorporate the feedback and are currently researching more effective prominence techniques for text and have made a commitment to develop and deploy mechanisms that enable users to understand if audio or visual content is AI generated unquote the classifier was free to use and uh, people on the internet could copy and paste it into text to check whether the material was likely generated by a person or by a non-person useful for determining whether an email or blog post or essay was crafted by a human 
It was powered by a large language model, an LLM, that ranked how much of the content was likely generated by software, from very likely to unclear to likely. OpenAI open warned at the time its AI classifier was, quote, not fully reliable, unquote, and admitted it was prone to incorrectly flagging human-written text as machine-written. That's uh, the same OpenAI that says things like its chat GPT bot should not be relied upon, but champions its use anyway. That's pointed out by the British tech journal The Register. The classifier didn't work very well on writing that had been AI-generated and edited by humans, and it struggled with prose it hadn't seen in its training data set. It was also overconfident in its predictions. According to OpenAI, quote, the classifier is sometimes extremely confident in a wrong prediction, unquote. They uh, launched the thing after growing fears about machine content being used by students to write essays and complete homework. At launch, OpenAI urged educators to not take the uh, model's predictions as gospel, but to use it as a guide, complementing other methods of determining the source of a piece of text. Unquote. Trying to accurately classify AI text is proving difficult, says the British Tech Journal, The Register. Similar tools built by other developers and companies are also unreliable and have led to real repercussions on students' education. An instructor of Texas at Texas A&M made headlines when he withheld some grades after ChatGPT predicted their text as being AI-generated. The university has since reinstated the students' uh, scores. Meanwhile, AI software built by Turnitin, as in Turnitin, has been rolled out at schools and universities to tackle plagiarism with, quote, 98% confidence, though it's not clear how accurate it truly is. A study uh, conducted by computer scientists at the University of Maryland suggested the chances of the best available classifiers accurately detecting machine-written text were not much better than a coin toss. But I'll bet the uh, coin was made by a computer. It's a smart, smart, smart world. Speaking of which... Looks like Hey, Elon, we're talking about you. Tesla is facing yet more potential problems. The electric car maker has been accused of deploying features that deliberately overestimate how much energy its vehicle's batteries have left. The remaining battery life, showing how many miles a Tesla can drive without a recharge, is estimated by algorithms. Boy, don't I know it. Should have seen me out in the desert in my Tesla. The numbers were inflated, it's claimed, and suddenly switched to more reliable levels only when power levels fall below 50%, according to sources familiar with the matter. Reporting to The Register, the British Tech Journal, Tesla rigged the software over a decade ago to make it look like its cars could drive farther than they could, according to Reuters. 
Some drivers complaining about their cars running out of juice earlier than expected requested car inspections only to be turned down by staff whose job it was to cancel as many of those appointments as possible. It's alleged. They only took five months to respond to uh, my complaint about it when I was stranded out in the desert. And then the first thing they said was, oh, it's it happened too long ago for us to access the data. That's Tesla. Tesla hired the so-called diversion team in Las Vegas. Employees were apparently told they were saving the company $1,000 for each appointment they canceled. Some staff members reportedly put their phones on mute and celebrated when they managed to turn down a client by ringing a xylophone, clapping, and standing on their desks. They're standing on their desks. It's not clear if Tesla's faulty range meter algorithms are still running on its cars. And also Musk-related, X marks the spot where Elon Musk sent San Francisco's permitting department a Twitter. That's a uh, lead from Politico. San Francisco has reportedly launched an investigation into a large metal X that appeared atop the billionaire's social media company headquarters, formerly Twitter, of course. That happened this week. The uh, San Francisco authorities said the hoisting of the X took place without permission from the city. Musk announced last week, of course, the platform would bid adieu to the name Twitter and rebrand as X latest in a series of major changes on the tech platform, according to Politico, including limiting the number of posts users couldn't view a day and requiring users to pay for the blue check mark, formerly indicative of verification of the user as not an impersonation. On Monday of this week, workers were spotted removing the brand's former bird and local logo from the side of the company's downtown building on Market Street, but the project came to a halt when San Francisco police cautioned that no notice had been given. No safety measures were taken to prevent falling objects from hitting pedestrians. Thanks, guys. The sign change isn't the first time Musk's company takeover has uh, run into some problems with the city. The company has been sued for failure to pay several million dollars in rent for some of its buildings and was under scrutiny at the end of last year for installing beds in conference rooms without the proper permits. The company's old logo has yet to be fully removed from the side of the building. At least that was true the end of July. And now news of another friend of ours, the Atom. A fish living near the Fook nuclear plant that melted down in 2011 was found to contain astronomical levels of radioactive cesium, stoking fears about the Japanese government's plan to release one, nearly one and a half million tons of treated wastewater from the Fook plant pretty darn soon, according to Global News, Canadian News Service. The black rockfish contained 18,000 becquerels per kilogram of cesium-137 caught in May in the inner breakwater of the plant's port. 
That was reported by The Guardian. Japan's safety limit for radiation in food is 100 becquerels per kilogram. This, again, was 18,000 becquerels, meaning the fish had a radioactive concentration 180 times over the legal limit. In the past year, 44 fish with cesium levels above 100 have been found in the Fuk port. One specimen was an eel, found to have 1,700 becquerels per kilogram. Another was a rock trout. Rock trout, which measured at 1,200 becquerels per kilogram. The fish were caught and tested by the operator of the Fook plant, TEPCO. The company has been testing fish off the plant's port since the meltdown in 2011. Water used to cool the reactor cores accumulated in about 1,000 tanks in the plant will reach their capacity by early next year. Japanese officials say the water needs to be released to prevent accidental leaks in case of another disaster. <laughs> so we'll have a deliberate leak without a disaster. You see? See how simple it is? And to continue with the plant's decommissioning, government plans to release the water over decades through an undersea tunnel, much to the dismay of neighboring countries and local fishers. When asked about concerns around the wastewater release plant, a TECO official told The Guardian, the impact on the public and environment will be minuscule. Unquote. You'll want to save that quote for later. According to the Associated Press, TEPCO attributes the high radioactivity in fish caught within the plant's port to contaminated sediment from the initial nuclear meltdown and continued runoff from rainwater that flows into the inner breakwater. Cesium concentrations of the seafloor sediment found in the inner breakwater measures more than 100,000 becquerels per kilogram, TEPCO told The Guardian. The company added it has periodically removed fish from the Fook plant since 2012 to prevent fish from escaping the area. Regular monitoring of the fish was halted after nets were installed in 2016 to keep fish inside but started again a couple years ago at a radio after a radioactive black rockfish was caught 50 kilometers up the coastline. I didn't mean up the coastline to you. Um, in February 22, shipments of black rockfish caught off the uh, coast of Fook were suspended after radiation was detected in the catch. All seafood species caught in the area are now regularly tested for radiation. There's no official date for when um, the plant will start releasing the wastewater into the Pacific. The plan is supposedly expected to start within weeks. Residents worry that the water discharge could deal another setback to Fukushima's image and hurt their businesses and livelihoods. Says a local innkeeper who's requested a delay in the release of the water until after the swimming season is over. Quote, releasing the water just as people are swimming at sea is totally out of line, even if there is no harm, unquote. Him. Government and TEPCO officials say the release plan is sound and consistent with international standards. Jason Donev, professor of physics at the University of Calgary, Calgary, they have a unit who specializes in nuclear energy, believes the water is safe for release. He told Global News much of the radioactivity in the water has decayed, and in addition, the water will go through a filtration system 
called the Advanced Liquid Processing System, or ALPS. Hey, if it's good enough for the mountains, it's basically a really, really good filtration system, Donyev said. That water is now safe. It's fine, unquote. He said the water from nuclear plants is dumped into bodies of water all the time around the world. So the practice isn't new. Well, that's so reassuring. Thank you, man. Oh, what concerns him and other scientists is that this water became contaminated abnormally due to the meltdown and may contain dozens of low-dose radionuclides that have not been studied as robustly as tritium, though they're filtered to legally releasable levels and their environmental impact deemed minimal, they still require close scrutiny, according to experts. Clean, cheap, safe, too f- safe to be metered, our friend the atom. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. It's the only one that can conclude at this point. It'll be back, the show, same time, same radio station, radio, next week, or whenever you want it on your audio device of choice. And it would be just like learning skills that might be useful later in life. If you'd agree to join with me, then would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh huh. Tip of the show, show. Oh, to 
Pam Halstead, to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for their help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, they're read, as well as the playlist of the music you hear here, and so much more to read, watch, discuss with friends and distant acquaintances, all at harrysharer.com, and I'm, uh, I'm sitting right here. Okay, I'm on uh, X. <laughs> Can't say that. But forget it. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans. Flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long. From the home of the homeless.